My fellow peasants, rustics, hayseeds, plebeians, commoners, serfs, laborers, peons and subjects, this is the great and holy deepfake god emperor of western Christendom, Ronald, Jebba Biden, Hunter Bojo, Paula Bomber, with a critical missive for the developed world. Since the blitzkrieg and domination of the ancient wheat beef people of Central Europe, when those blessed primordial agrarians slaughtered the continent's hunter and gatherer savages, we have cleaved through history with a demonical obsessive purpose. To seize and hold, to profit and exploit. Yet now, these hallowed aspirations are threatened by hungry desperate ghosts. These menacing wraiths are a homegrown threat. They fester within us, like the bad vibes inside a sausage, or the latent programming of a television game show. This threat. This barbarism, that mangles our walls from within and without, like so many gothic marauders biting at the ankles of the Holy Roman Empire, this existential calamity, is. People who do their own research. People who do their own research are selfish, willful and troublesome. Good, proper citizens know, and internalize on a foundational level, that to obediently trust daddy government is to be virtuous, courteous, righteous and wise. Let me ask you this, what would be the point of experts if a society did not allow them to make decisions for it? A society cultivates experts in order to abdicate responsibility for the civic administration of the social order. Society really is a need-to-know enterprise. There's no reason for one cog to step outside her lane and interfere with the duties of a separate cog. The sacred alignment of the cogs is better left to the modern priests of technocracy, who understand how to wield the talisman of implied consent. Human beings are inherently flawed and the unwashed masses are a dangerous menace to the tidy and mechanized gears of civilization and progress. It's all a part of our inevitable ascension to silicone butterflies, finally capable of sloughing off the superfluous residue of our dirty, biological origins. Placentas are wet, and gross, an antiquated mammalian adaptation that has outlived its usefulness. In the new world we now find ourselves. Data's God. And the human soul is simply a piece of software to be hacked, entrained and modified. What you naively call religion is nothing more than a code, a cryptographic runtime script. A functional instrument of co-option and control. Its secret fuel is not actually violence, or threat of violence, but belief. A self-driving televangelism in service of the future megachurch, which will be digital, not analog. Intangible, not material, and impermanent, rather than eternal. An eternity of impermanence, ever-shifting, ever-molding, ever-melting, ever-changing. A cipher known only to itself. This is God, is it not? And the future is not sculpted by mysterious elegant spirits in the sky, but rather by intelligent synthetic design. We propagate experts with the ultimate goal of freeing ourselves from the need of experts, from having to make any decisions whatsoever. The pivotal expert we engender will be the last expert, the final expert. The permanent and irreversible abdication of the organic self. 
that no one may buy or sell again except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of its name. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Barbarian Noetics Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. You know how we do here at the BMP. We stay dedicated to the elevation of the human spirit, and we stay resisting this status quo. And I could not resist the status quo without all y'all, without the listeners. There is no BMP, so I appreciate each and every one of you. To all my new listeners, welcome. Thank you for joining our tribe of philosopher barbarians and strap in because we are just getting started and good things are happening here on the BMP. I am, as always, your loyal host, Little Raven. And I'm coming at you from a cloudy, kind of misty Monday afternoon here in South Phoenix. It looks like there might be a monsoon coming in at some point, so cross your fingers for that. And I just had a fantastic Yak Fest conversation with fan favorite Dr. Sylvie Salinger. So, just kind of busting my booty getting this podcast out to all y'all and I'm very excited for this week's episode. So um, old heads of the BMP may remember way, way back uh, one of my first few episodes I had on Sean Lestuka. is called Arctic Adventures or Adventures in the Arctic with Sean Lestuka. And he is the resident genius engineer of the Barbarian Noetics podcast. So if you want to get to know Sean, go back to that old episode. Um, I can't remember. It's within the first like 30 or 40 episodes. But I wanted to bring Sean back on the podcast to discuss something that's been on my mind recently. And I wanted to just have a talk about it as the genius resident, the resident genius engineer. He was the one to contact. So we've all seen the videos or at least most listeners to the BMP have probably seen the videos of the robot dogs. You know, uh, we've seen the Boston Dynamic robots doing their shitty version of parkour and all that bullshit. But then we got the robot dogs and the armies of robot dogs that are being built in China and elsewhere. I don't like the robot dogs. I don't like that they don't really have faces. It's the uncanny valley. I don't like how they move. They look very insectoid. There was that video of the loudspeaker duct tape to the robot dog going through the streets of of Shanghai, uh, instructing uh, lockdown orders to people. And you know, I don't like it. I don't want my instructions being barked at me from a robot dog. Thank you very much. And these, uh, these robots keep getting more and more advanced. They keep getting more and more autonomous. And, you know, there, I don't think it's unreasonable to be concerned about the possibility of these robot dogs gaining police powers, gaining some sort of martial capabilities. And then you have to worry about something going wrong with the programming, some sort of glitch in the matrix. Um, even the singularity, the robots becoming self-conscious. I mean, I, I just think it's foolhardy for us to just ignore these possibilities moving forward. So I and um, I want to be able to defend myself and my community against these potential robot dogs. So for those of you who have seen The Matrix, you all know about the electromagnetic pulse in The Matrix. It's like the secret weapon of the staff members of the Nebuchadnezzar that they can do the magic EMP pulse gun and it, sh- it shuts down all electronics within a certain radius, including the ship. It shuts down everything in the ship, but it also shuts down all of the sentinels, all the robot sentinels. 
So I'm looking at this future we're hurtling towards. It doesn't seem to be slowing down. It seems to be speeding up where we're just going full speed ahead with AI, the robot dogs, the Boston Dynamics, the robot cops, the robo cops. It's, and I want to be proactive instead of just sitting here biting my nails about it and being like, oh my Lord, am I gonna have to, am I gonna be getting written parking tickets by robots soon? I wanna have some sort of, I wanna take some sort of action to defend myself. So I reached out to Sean. I was like, Sean, is an electromagnetic pulse gun even like a real thing that actually exists and could we possibly build it? And he said, interestingly enough, he had been researching EMP as well. And so I had him on the podcast and we just talk. It's going to be part one of a two-part series. So this is part one. And it is discussing the what an electromagnetic pulse gun actually is, how electromagnetic pulses work to shut down machines, and the most important part, whether or not we can actually build the people, can build our own EMP guns, uh, what we could fabricate them out of, how feasible is it, what technology will be needed, what are the gaps in the technology, and just start to really think about, you know, like human beings are incredible, we have so many talents, we have so many resources, like the people I'm talking, I'm not talking about the predator class here, I'm talking about the people. We have so many resources at our disposal. Like I was telling Sean, you know, we could include like farming equipment in terms of like the reservoir of, of, of materials that we have to build these uh, EMP devices. We can use like major farm equipment because the farmers are more and more rebelling against the system as they get squeezed by every which way, whether it's you know, through the guise of fighting climate change with the, um, with the sustainability goals and how that affects small farmers. And just in general, like the, the consolidation of farmland, the attack by big capital on small farmers. And so, you know, we have these resources and, and then truckers are another group of people. We can use the batteries from trucks. So anyways, strap in for just a really fun conversation with a really smart, amazing person, um, resident genius engineer Sean Lestuka coming on to discuss all about EMP guns, what they are, and whether we can build them ourselves, defend ourselves against the impending armies of sentient robot dogs. And before we get into all that, I just want to thank all the listeners again to my patrons out there. You are the breathing techniques that tonify my vagus nerve and the mantras that focus my mind during meditation. I would not be able to get into that deep state of connection with the source without you. You are also the electromagnetic pulses that save me from the army of robot dogs. So my patrons, I am eternally grateful and I rely on listeners' support to help keep the BMP on the air. So if you like what I'm doing here on the BMP, hop over to patreon.com noetics. You can sign up for as little as $1 a month. You become a genuine partner in the Barbarian Noetics podcast. You, get, uh, you unlock bonus content. You get a dream interpretation, all sorts of good stuff. So patreon.com noetics. You can make a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com noetics, and I would be eternally grateful. And then just as always, thank you for spreading the word and telling a friend about the BMP. If you've got other people in your life who have been talking about electromagnetic pulse devices, this is going to be the two-part series for you. Um, if not, you know, we have something for everybody. I talk about sobriety. I talk about all sorts of stuff, psychedelics, life after death, all kinds of stuff. So there is something for everyone. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the BMP wherever you listen to podcasts. I appreciate you all so, so much. 
And uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right into this episode. So strap in, crack a booch, and enjoy. And I'll talk to you guys at the end. All right. What's up, BMP fam? Just dropping in, hopping on the mic real quick. Turned off my front AC unit for you guys because I love y'all, but this is a voice memo one, so you know. <laughs> but um, anyway, I just wanted to, I know you're going to be shocked to hear that I just came up off a really nice meditation, really deep, beautiful meditation. Um, didn't solve everything that what I'm going through. I'm dealing with some anxiety right now. Um, today, especially so it didn't completely solve it altogether but it definitely helped a lot and i just wanted to share the experience itself because it was illuminating so go into meditation and um i guess the context is that i was having like really intense anxiety and when i have intense it comes sometimes it's like borderline panic attack style like very intense and it comes and it, it affects me in my like heart chakra and then my throat chakra and like between. So those are the two nodes usually of the anxiety that I, I feel it like located within my body. And so I think I've spoken before about how I visualize the knots of anxiety or knots of fear or knots of discomfort or knots of runaway thoughts, whatever it is that's giving your mental health a struggle or a hard time. You, you envision that, you try to locate it within the body. I always find that it's pretty easy to find within the body, um, especially my heart chakra. Just It's interesting because that's where the lower chakras connect with the higher chakras and the heart, the heart chakra I see almost as like a me, it's a mediating chakra. It like mediates between the higher, more subtle channels and the lower, more survival channels. And so I'm not going to get into this right now. Uh, I will eventually because I think it's a story worth telling. But I'm having major drama issues with my neighbor. Um, so my neighbor right next door. So we just share a wall. And um, he's a really awful, terrible person. And so I'm... <laughs> Try, I'm dealing with that and I am dealing with it and it will be resolved um, but it's not yet resolved and so the unfortunate consequence of that is that when I come home after like a long day of work there's an element of anxiety because I don't know if I'm going to be hearing you know banging screaming all sorts of fucked up shit next door and I'm not saying that that was like the cause of the anxiety but when you're already having anxiety and then you your home is no longer this total place I mean I I have to be careful with my words here. My home is always my place of refuge. I'm very good at separating the energetic ties between our two units. 
my home is always a place of refuge. But, you know, it's, it adds another layer when you're next to someone who's really unpredictable in a bad way. And so that's the context to where I, when I sat down to meditate. So going through, scanning my body, and I'm envisioning this really intense, <laughs> like, ball of anxiety. And this has not happened. So normally I, I see it as a knot, as a really tight knot. And then I slowly, with my mind's eye, I, I slowly start to pick apart the knot. And usually when that happens, it frees up all this energy, which... I experience as bliss and like tingle kundalini vibes up and down my spine is how I experience that energy when I, when I free it from the knot of anxiety it becomes a sort of current of bliss so but this time the knot was huge <laughs> and it almost looked like a molecule like like those sci science 101 images of molecules where you have like the circle with the two other circles around it that represent the electrons or something like that obviously i'm not a molecular biologist as you can tell but anyways <laughs> uh it kind of looked like that but it also had thorns and what's interesting is i didn't realize the thorns were there until i started with my mind's eye started to try to unpick this knot and i was like ouch it, my mind's eye like got poked with a thorn that i didn't see and then i looked closer with my mind's eye and was like oh shit there's thorns kind of like um not dissimilar from like rosebush thorns the knot was so tight and so big that i couldn't untie it all not in one sitting it's, i think it's going to take multiple meditations to untie it all with my mind's eye but when I was able to free a few strands of the knot, I did experience a bliss current so intense that I actually had to like back up off of it. It was like so overpowering. I kind of felt like I was going to pass out, but in a good way. But goddamn, there's a lot of energy there that is uh, resulting in this anxiety um, energy that's you know not not yet flowing completely. But I definitely started. I started the flow process and I feel the anxiety getting better. And um, I'm gonna take a pause here in this conversation and then I'm gonna hop back on the mic and discuss something I've discovered also through meditation that in order to transcend, you must transmute it first. So transmutation comes before transcendence and I'll dig into that in a second. But I have a more of a record of getting things done in the United States Congress than anybody you know, anybody you know, of getting things accomplished. And that sounds so self-serving. I know that. But this is going to really be hard. It's going to really, 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 I know that. Really, 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 anybody you know, really, anybody you know, really, 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 really,
overwhelmingly voted anybody you know. Anybody you know. Anybody you know. White women. Anybody White women. Overwhelmingly voted. This country is doomed. It is doomed, not just because of African Americans, but because by 2040, this country is going to be minority white European. Hear me? White European. Hear me? Hear me? Hear me? Hear me? Hear me? Minority white European. And you guys are going to have to start working more with Hispanics, who make up a larger portion of the population than y'all do. I was going to put him in. It had to put on the windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I had so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Come on, man. What are we talking Come about? On. Come on, man. 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 Come on, Come man. on man. What is he doing? Come, Come on, man. man. Give me a little Come break on, man. Come on, man. Neighborhood music. Giving back neighborhood music. Neighborhood music. We cruise around the brown side of town. Neighborhood music. Giving back neighborhood music. Neighborhood music. I put sit down for the brown side of town. It means something, even if it's nothing to you It means something to me, let me explain something to you I call it neighborhood music and homeboy I breathe it, I see it and speak it Dream it and keep it and share it with you Unbearable blues, some terrible twos The drugs and tattoos, confused and can't choose Our life is a youth, never liking the rules Back in school, more than likely to lose Your fools would like me to lose Cause I'm killing your dudes Neighborhood themes, living out my childhood dreams It's not what it seems, behind the scenes when everyone leaves I'm a good man with good intentions Though I leave bad Impressions, sit back and listen and don't ask too many questions. Keep fucking up and I never learn my lessons. Letting out my aggressions at rap sessions is a blessing. I'm guessing you never heard nobody like me when there's so many people like me. Neighborhood M U S I C. What's up, love doves? I'm coming at you from my super hot apartment here. It's the afternoon. I got the AC off, but I really had to complete this segment for this episode. So I I left off the last segment talking about how uh, I was talking about meditation and how I've discovered something that I just wanted to share. And the idea basically is that in order to transcend, you have to transmute. So I want to take like a real life example to kind of break down this point. So Unfortunately, I have crazy neighbors again. So if old heads of the BMP remember when I had the one neighbor that screamed and yelled all the time. She just had total meltdowns all the time. And she finally left and I was like, yay. And then I get new neighbors and the new neighbors are also crazy. And they scream and yell all the time and it's it's really upsetting. And so like I'm in my apartment and I'll be trying to meditate and then I hear like screaming and yelling and anger, you know, coming from because we share like this one single wall. It's like this thin wall. And it's frustrating because it's what it does is when I'm in meditation, I'm in this like sensitive place and then an out from an external source, the crazy neighbors, I hear this anger and yelling and screaming 
and it affects my nervous system. So then I feel like a jolt of adrenaline in my own nervous system and I kind of feel like a tightening. And I guess in a way it's sort of instructive because it shows like what happens to your body when you're in a state of anger, when you're, someone is yelling at you in anger or you're yelling at someone in anger. It's very much like a tightening that happens. And with meditation, for me, I like the expansiveness of meditation. I like to take deep breaths. I like to be receptive. I like to commune with the source and become one with all things. And I find it really difficult to stay on that vibe when I'm processing the sounds of anger and yelling. So there's certain things I can do, like I can put on my noise-canceling headphones, but I find that that's really distracting too in meditation because I become extremely aware of this huge unwieldy device on my head and it's just not ideal because I'm like communing with my crown chakra and my head and everything and I just I don't really like the feeling of kind of like unleashing the electricity in my head while I have this like device on my head with you know Bluetooth doing noise canceling so that would be a solution but it's not really that viable so I'm looking for ways to like deal with this you know what I mean I've confronted them many times I've talked to them many times but obviously it's you know it hasn't really had that much of an effect and so there was this one meditation where I was just like you know what I refused because I was having like this really nice moment and then I heard the yelling and screaming and it took me out of the moment and I was like you know what I refuse to let this derail my meditation this time I'm just gonna figure out a way to work through it and I felt everything happening in my body the constricting all that kind of stuff the adrenaline all that kind of stuff and then I just had this kind of thought it didn't really come to me in language it just came to me kind of an, as, as an idea and the idea was that basically I was trying to transcend in this situation I was trying because in my mind I was trying to like separate myself I was using all these visualizations of like cutting the threads that connected our two apartments and all this kind of stuff just trying to separate myself off from it so I was trying to transcend the situation, but I wasn't, I realized that that was going to be impossible if I just was trying to ignore the sounds coming from the next apartment. So what I did instead is I tried, I made an effort to transform the vibe coming from the next apartment. I envisioned like kind of like a ball of white light emanating from, from me and expanding not just filling my space, but filling the entire space, filling all of the apartment units, including my neighbor's apartment, bathing everything in this like white light. And that, it did two things. First off, the screaming and yelling stopped, which is interesting. And then secondly, it allowed me to kind of continue on my ascension in the meditation and connect with the Kundalini energy and get to that state of kind of communing with the source. So I just thought that was so interesting and, and um, you know, I don't have like all the answers or whatever. It's not like I'm the best at communicating this, but I just thought it was an idea that's worth sharing and worth contemplating that if your aim is to transcend, you have to transmute first. It reminds me of the Hawaiian system of mediation called Ho'oponopono, where you um, basically the, the mantra for Ho'oponopono is, I love you. I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And they, there's this one gentleman, Ihaleakala Hulen, who worked at a state psychiatric hospital. And the way he would kind of like do his part to heal his patients is he would go through the files and he would do that Ho'oponopono practice with each of the files. So instead of just focusing on the patient, he looked at like what was within himself 
that was giving rise to this chaos and violence of the patient. So you're kind of saying like, you're saying it to yourself and to the other, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And I just think that that kind of relates to this idea that, you know, we can't, we can't just like ascend and, and if leave our environment behind. We have to kind of transmute our environment with us. And I think that's a really powerful idea. And I know it's probably not always going to be super feasible and no one's perfect. And everyone, you know, everyone kind of loses it from time to time, obviously, including myself. But I just think when you're in meditation, it's a really good opportunity to really dive into these ideas and really pay attention to like, what is your goal? Okay, my goal is to commune with the source of all beings. So that is an inherently transcendent activity. And so I have to include my entire environment with when I do that. I have to transmute any negativity and anger. And I have to be the one that does it, you know? Like, no one else is going to do it for me. I have to be the one that does it. Um, so I think that's all I have to say about that. I hope that maybe this stimulates some thoughts or ideas in you guys. And um, I love you all. All right, thanks. Peace. Florida Governor, Ron DeSantis. I sell myself as a small government guy, who works against bureaucratic overreach, but, when it comes around to a certain kind of directorate, the bureaucracy of the security state, I gape my lily-white booty for the feds, just as vociferously as your run-of-the-mill, shit-lib, political icon. For example, I extended massive powers to law enforcement through my anti-protest bill, which cuts the knees out from under the constitutional right to free assembly, as enumerated in the First Amendment. This draconian legislation acts as a blueprint for anti-protest bills, federally and around the nation. I further serve the oligarchs who sign my checks, by taking the genuine revolutionary energy, that's been building on the red side of the duopoly, and sheepdogging it back into the cozy confines of the illusory, two-party, paradigm. Me and Bernie aren't as different as the shadowy puppeteers, who direct policy, would want you to believe. We're both self-congratulatory narcissists, who pose as rebel outsiders, in order to siphon the energy and resources of poor and working people, who donate to us out of pure desperation, and funnel all that potential energy right back into the grubby mouth, of the predator class, so they can continue, to turn the screw. Love me. I'm Ron DeSantis, and I approve this message.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Barbarian Noetics podcast. We have a very special guest today calling in from an undisclosed location. We tried Skype. Skype sucks. And Microsoft crawls right up your ass whenever you open anything on any device. Crawls right up your booty. Now we're on Zoom. Zoom, also annoying. So I'd have to... He has a premium, but that didn't work. So now we're on my personal. So we're going to have to do this in little 40-minute segments. But that's neither here nor there because we have a very special guest today. We have Sean Lestuka in the building. Sean Lestuka is the resident genius engineer of the Barbarian Noetics podcast. And we brought him on to discuss something near and dear to all of our hearts here at the Barbarian Noetics podcast. We're going to be talking electromagnetic pulse guns. That's right. We know them from the Matrix. We know them from personal dreams and visualizations. We've all seen the video of China's robot dog army. We all know my opinion about the robot dogs. I say no. I I resist. I uh, I reject the robot dogs. Why did they not give the robot dogs faces? It's the uncanny valley. They look creepy. I don't like it. They attach loudspeakers to them and, you know, all sorts of weird, weird shit. I don't like it. So we're going to talk about electromagnetic pulse guns. That's your introduction. Mr. Sean Lestuka, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what gives you your uh, the credentials that you've got to talk about this topic. <laughs> For the polite um, introduction and and. I, I don't know how qualified I am even in basic engineering, but I've been doing it for a while. So uh, hopefully I I uh, can at least have other people listening um, call me up and, and or, or, or write me and tell me all the things I said that are wrong. Uh, I, it'll probably be, a, if I do better than half, I'll, I'll be pretty happy. Um, but yeah, I... I right now I'm working. I've been working at uh, UC San Diego um, in the Scripps Institution of Oceanography, and I build uh, instruments that we deploy at sea. Um, usually, they're uh, kind of a profiling instrument that you uh, attach to a, a cable and then uh, allow the force of gravity to allow it to drop you know, up to maybe a thousand, 2000 meters down to the, into the water column. And then you just bring it back up again and, and you do a recording of all the temperatures that it reads and how the salinity changed. And, and sometimes you just do that over and over like thousands of times, but uh, <laughs> it's, it, I, and I, you know, I work on sonar, so I just work on a variety of uh, mostly oceanographic related instruments. Um, well, don't don't sell yourself short because you you have a brilliant mind for engineering. You're really good at figuring stuff out. I mean, you can put me in a room with like, you know, a few tools for literally until the dawn of time. And I wouldn't be able to build much of anything, much less sonar. So, uh, you know, it, you're definitely way more, way more qualified and have way more experience to talk about this topic than certainly me. And old heads of the Barbarian Noetics podcast will actually remember that the great Sean Lestuka was one of the very first guests I had on. I think I believe it's called like Oceanic Adventures with Sean Lestuka. It's one of my very like the first 15 episodes way, way back when my audio quality was ridiculous and I didn't know what I was doing, but we were just having fun chats. And I remember we had to do our chat twice because the first time the something happened with the microphone and it didn't even record. So we, we had like this two hour conversation and I was like, hey, Sean, 
we're gonna have to do that over again my bad and you're like well it's good chatting with you anyway so <laughs> all right so that brings us to today's topic and so i know that a lot of this is going to be speculative but i just wanted this is like the opening up into this topic because it's something that i find really interesting i'm a big you know i talk a lot on the podcast about self-reliance about being able to you know um take care of yourself in as much as as many ways as you possibly can without necessarily being completely dependent on the state or on outside forces now I live in the industrial district of South Phoenix, so obviously I'm reliant on a lot of things. Like I live in the middle of this vast desert and I'm reliant on water, traveling hundreds of miles through the desert. I'm, but you know, I'm also trying to, I, I'm growing sweet potatoes right now. I've got, I grow my own sprouts. Um, I have like, a, I'm developing a collection of seeds um, and I have like a store of food, like rice and beans and dried vegetables and stuff like that. So I'm doing what I can. But one thing that concerns me and concerns a lot of people is that we're charging as a society and as a technocracy and as a planet full speed ahead into this realm of artificial intelligence, robotics. And in my humble opinion, we are being governed by artificial intelligence more than we realize already. And what I mean by that is that the power of the algorithms, the power of online marketing, for example, the power of your phone to listen while you have a conversation with your loved one and you talk about like, yeah, I really like Pumas, the animal. I like the animal Puma. And then the next thing you know, you check your Instagram and there's all these ads for Puma shoes and Puma shirts. You know, that's that's AI analyzing your information that you you did sign that away at some point when you agreed on something, you said that they can do that. They can listen to you and do targeted advertising based on it, but it's going it, to, it's influencing your behavior in very like subtle ways. And so in my opinion, I think we're already being governed by artificial intelligence more than we realize. Now I sent you this video a couple weeks ago and we talked about having this chat of the robot dog army. Why are we even making robot dog armies? It's It just seems like a matter of time before they start equipping these things with like police powers and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm thinking like, well, I wanna be able to defend myself against like, you know, common criminals, but I also wanna be able to defend myself against potentially sentient robots if some sort of singularity occurs. And then we have like police robot dogs without faces arm, armed roaming the streets. So. Like anyone of my generation, I was greatly influenced by a fantastic trilogy, which is now a new trilogy is coming out. I'm talking about The Matrix. And pretty much like the only reason why the Nebuchadnezzar, why they were even able to exist at all without being immediately destroyed by the machines is because of this device they have, which I think they called it an EMP in the movie. But basically it was like this electromagnetic pulse device that shot out, uh, and, and I don't even know, I'm, I'm so stupid about this, I don't even know exactly what it shoots out, but it shoots out something and actually deactivates all the machines for like at least a short time to allow the ship to escape or whatever. My first question to you, Sean, is like, is that based on a real concept? Is that something that could theoretically be done? Oh yeah, yeah, I mean that, it does exist. Okay. So I, it, after I, looked at the robotic dog um, video, I kind of, I went and just did a little EMP thing on on the internet. And the, just the Department of, um, I think it was the Department of Health in Washington State, a couple decades ago, put out a, uh, a little white paper on EMPs and 
what's happened. So it was like a, a kind of cool little thing. I five pages I went through it, and they actually did a test like in the '60s, and they they deployed what is basically a pretty small nuclear bomb way up high in the atmosphere, and in fact, it sounded like it was almost in outer space, and uh, it knocked out like. <laughs> some some power supplies or, or uh, not it knocked out some power grid and maybe a few electronics went on the fritz in hawaii you know so um it, i think that it, it's a totally it's a physical phenomenon it's based on basic physics I think, that this is something that can happen do you want to expound just a little bit like just take a couple minutes if possible and just explain a t just the super duper basics of the physics of how that works. Like what is it about a small nuclear explosion that knocks out a power plant? Yeah, it basically if to generate uh, power using an RF wave, you, the, the nuclear bomb um, I, it, it does something called deionizing the air, or ionizes the air actually. So that means that the the air molecules themselves become charged, and when they become charged, they start to produce an electromagnetic wave. And electromagnetic wave it travels really fast for one. It, you know, it travels basically the speed of light or maybe a small fraction of the speed of, or a pretty large fraction of the speed of light. And, and uh, if, if enough energy is put into that wave, then it, it, it will travel really far. Like for instance, 800 miles was what this paper said from the Washington state government, um, traveled 800 miles and blew up some electronics. So, wow. um, it, I, I think it's just the, the force of really powerful, uh, I don't know if it's a chemical, I don't know if it's a chemical reaction, but it's just an enormous amount of energy getting dissipated will produce stuff like this. It, you know, all the, the atomic level atoms are going to change in dramatic ways and that produces one thing that does is produce an electromagnetic Okay, all right. Well, that's that's all. I'm already learning stuff over here, so I know my audience is learning stuff too. So this is fantastic. So the next question that follows from that is, if you had to pontificate about what sort of technology they were utilizing in the Matrix, because obviously it wasn't a nuclear explosion, because they were able to detonate the EMP from actually inside the spaceship and it did knock out all the power on the spaceship as well so it did knock out but it didn't blow them all up obviously so it was something different than like what we consider what we think of when we think of like a small nuclear explosion do you have any idea like is that possible to, to actually yeah. release okay and, and this same paper did mention that a little bit too so it in just looking at a little bit on the internet it wasn't obvious for me to figure out how you make something like that it's very easy to make an electromagnetic wave it's very easy to make a powerful electromagnetic wave but to make an ele electromagnetic wave that's kind of the, the the next step powerful as in you blow up electronics or, or fry things or or disturb um power transmission lines 
that without a humongous industrial um, effort, it's not clear to me how you make that in something the size of, size of a suitcase or whatever. That being said, I think even this article implied, or like I did a quick web search, and they did imply that there's probably some super secret um, developments going on that no one knows about that can do this. So, or that I don't know if it's still on testing, but it, I, I think that you can, um, you can produce very high voltages if you need to with simple electronics. I, in, in the back of an old television set, like a, a cathode ray tube TV set, like we watched in the in the eighties, um, you you have electronics back there that make twenty thousand volts. So you can produce very high voltages, and the same way you can also produce very high currents. You, but producing high voltage and high current at the same time takes really, and that's what you need to to produce an EMP wave. Mm. That's something I don't understand, how you would do that in a small, a, a little tiny suitcase. And even like more ideally for that would be, like if I'm just in my purely hypothetical visualization, what the ideal instrument would be, you would even be able to direct the electromagnetic pulse yeah. like in, in a general direction. And I think that's very realistic. You know, okay. usually the way it works is that something that's omnidirectional, that is something that like a nuclear bomb that would radiate um, uh, emissions in a sphere, a 360 degree sphere, you know, that usually when you're talking about antennas generating a wave, more efficiency if you have a directional antenna that can point it at one direction. So say cell phone towers, um, you know, when you're flying an airplane and turn on your cell phone, you're not going to get any cell phone connection. But when you're like a hundred feet off the deck, then you start to get a cell phone connection. So the, the, uh, and that cell phone connection goes, I don't know, probably a mile or something. Right. But I don't think it works if it goes straight up in the air a mile. So the, the cell phone company has said, okay, let's take all energy that we're transmitting through our antenna and spread it out at ground level. You know, let's not just shoot it up to the odd airplane going by. That's a big waste of energy. Right, right. Okay, that's interesting. And um, what kind of power? So you, you mentioned like the old school, like I'm imagining the Zenith televisions, like from the 80s, yeah. those huge boxes, they yeah. could produce upwards of, you said, 20,000 volts. I, I think, yeah, they're like 10, 20,000 volts, you know, it, there's. And like, what, what could you do? Somewhere. What could you do with 20,000 volts? Is that enough to make like a, a very well, low distance, short distance EMP? Yeah, yeah, you could it, at some point, all of this stuff works you know so like say an emp i'm pretty sure that you with with the right electronics it might not be from that old crt tube tv but with the right electronics you could make an emp that would um disturb you know the 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 laser printer sitting on the desk next to me or something you know like that that seems pretty realistic you know like it I, again, I don't totally know how you would do it. It's what is still one heck of a lot of energy, but yeah, that's, that's why we have nuclear bombs to create massive amounts of energy. And we are 
I mean, technology is always advancing at a meteoric rate and us consumers, we just get the little drip, drip, drip of the military technology, which is like 20 or 30 years ahead of what we have right now. And it, even for us consumers, it seems to be what we're capable of now with our smartphones and devices and everything. It's like everything is smart now. Your toaster's smart. Your toaster talks to your microwave. It talks to your door. It talks to your Amazon, talks to Jeff Bezos when he's in space. Did you hear about what the sound that Jeff Bezos made when he took his masturbatory trip into space? What he 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 did this. I, he went, do I want to hear that sound? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, but I'm about to tell you. He went <laughs> because they record they recorded the inside of the cabin when they blasted off into space. It was him and a couple other assholes, billionaires just flexing just waving their dicks in everyone's faces while people die on the street all over the inner cities and the sound that he made when he, when they went into space was woo so that's that was the elation that was generated from that output of energy and resources that could have literally solved homelessness in the city of phoenix but instead all that energy and money and resources instead went to give jeff bezos an emotional experience so profound that it translated into the sound. Woo! So I think we're doing great as a society in terms of really leveraging our resources. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't see any problems in terms of wealth gaps or I think everything's great and, you know, basically living the dream. I mean, I can't afford to go see a doctor and uh, you know, it's awesome. It's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's shot. I, it, I think one thing I, it's really weird, like, this is off the topic of these EMPs, but I remember, like, probably, like, when President Bush got elected, you know, like, just sort of like, oh, you know, this is not going the right way or whatever. You know, I remember <laughs> there's a lot of people pretty disappointed. A lot of people were super, super mad. I don't know if you remember. It was like, yeah, people were infuriated, right? And yeah. And I, and then, you know, after Bush, I guess that was Obama, right? So you're like, okay, you know, things are maybe getting back to normal or whatever. And, but, you know, a lot of people were mad about that too, right? So, and at some point, I was kind of like, man, is it like ever just going to get, it seems like it just gets a little bit worse each time, right? <laughs> and I'm like, it's really weird, right? Because it just, it just gets like, and it, you know, maybe some big stuff improves, but then like some other place, like maybe robot dogs or whatever, like start coming out, you know? And it's like, <laughs> oh, dang, like, how do you, it's like, is the world just going to stop turning? You know, like what is it just get, it seems to get worse, but the odd thing is, is life goes on too. Right. And you, you just, for me, I see this stuff. I'm like, man, we, like I was telling Amy the other day, like um, we better prepare for things to get kind of worse. <laughs> but on the other hand, you just got to keep living too, right? Like you got to just take this crap and navigate it, right? Like yep. you have no choice. You just got to do that. It's like, yep. And, and, you know, hopefully have a good time now and then, right? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Sean. And that is very important. That last thing you said, I think, is critical. And I, I end up 
I, I find myself talking about this more and more on podcasts of all sorts of different topics because everybody senses what you're saying. Everybody feels like the inmates are kind of running the asylum. Our regulatory agencies are either entirely owned subsidiaries of the corporate state or largely captured. The people really pulling the strings are the donor class and the most powerful lobbyists. And it seems feels like the people are just kind of like, we're, we're left trying. It reminds me in a fish tank, you feed the flakes and the big fish, like get the, get the flakes. And that's like the, the bill, the, what I call the predator class, the billionaire class, they get like the best food. Yeah. And then the rest of us have to like scatter, like the little, there's a, there's a term for it in aquariums. They're the, the things that suck on the sides of the glass, like the moss suckers and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. Yeah. The and yeah, yeah, the algae eaters. And we have to scurry around and basically scrape out a living from the particulate that escapes the jaws of the predator class, or we have to figure out a way oh, to consume poop. their poop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in many ways we do, if you really like break, you could take that metaphor pretty far. Like Jeff Bezos gets to go, and then I get, <laughs> but but I also then I I do, and I'm a low income person living in the industrial district, but I'm able to create a podcast in the corner of my apartment that I can broadcast to the entire planet. So it's like I have to acknowledge that also, that yeah. even though I'm just getting the scraps and the poop, because I'm a human and we're we're very adaptable human beings. If there's one word, Joe Biden lately he said, I describe America in a single word. <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's how Jeff Biden describes America, but I would describe humanity in a single word, which is adaptable. We're very adaptable creatures. And a lot of people, so so what you say about having, having fun is really critical. You got to laugh. You got to enjoy yourself. You do have to keep living. You can't just sit around and be a doomer and just wait for the big one all day because that just sucks. And in Hawaii, I actually saw that mentality from firsthand. And it really does suck. Like there's people who live off the grid on the big island who will be totally fine in any sort of anything outside of like a nuclear winter situation, like as long as they can grow food and stuff, they're really going to be fine. Like they have prepared themselves, but they're miserable. They sit around all day and just talk about how evil everything is and they don't laugh and they don't have fun and they just talk, surround themselves, which I like firearms personally. I'm a second amendment guy myself, but I don't want to talk about it all the time. Like I find it kind of boring. Like one thing I discovered about gun culture, people have this idea about like gun nuts and stuff. Gun, gun people are nerds, man. They're nerds. They're just gun oh, nerds. Yeah. This is all they want to talk about is gun, which I, I like I'll let, I enjoy shooting a gun. I enjoy being proficient at hitting a target, but I don't like to talk about any one topic endlessly. And so, yeah, you got you got to go out. You have to live your life. You have to, you know, we have this freedom. You have to, like, enjoy your freedom and appreciate your freedom and actually use your freedom. But more and more people, Sean, are talking about creating parallel systems or beginning to like think about how to do that creating parallel systems in terms of becoming more self-reliant as individuals and as communities so like you know the emergence of farmers markets farmers markets continue to become more and more popular pretty much everywhere um i have an interesting story and i'm sorry i'm talking so much i'm gonna give the oh, floor back awesome. to you in a second but I, um, a friend of mine is really into like primal diet stuff and he turned me on to eating uh, liver and he's like, you want to eat raw liver? And I was like, why? He's raw like, liver. 
yeah. And I'm like, why do you want to eat raw liver? He's like, well, it makes you high. And I'm like, well, I'll try any, if you tell me it's going to make me high, I'll try it. So I went, there's this butcher shop not far from where I work in the bougie district of Phoenix. And they are very like high integrity butcher shop, all organic, uh, no funny business, no GMO grass fed. And they have really high quality calf liver or beef liver, I guess I should say, I get the beef liver. And I went in the last time I went in to grab my liver, I talked to the guy and I was like, Hey, like, are you guys noticing any issues in terms of like supply chain? Cause you hear about the supply chain and disruptions and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, actually it's the opposite for us. He's like, so many people are homesteading around the area. And again, this is a desert area, but it's irrigated and stuff. And people have homesteads. So many people are raising their own livestock uh, and butchering their own meat that we have like more than we can handle coming in. And that wow. really like kind of made my day and it in shifted Phoenix. my- Yeah, in Phoenix. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Um, I mean, it, Phoenix was an agricultural village before the advent of air conditioning. It was just a small agricultural kind of town. And then yeah. the surrounding areas of Phoenix, like Gilbert and Mesa, those have historically been agricultural places. Um, now there is a meteoric rise in residential developments and stuff like that. And the last I heard is that Gilbert now, Sean, is more expensive than Scottsdale. Like it's getting really bougie out in Gilbert, but um, there's still a lot of farms and stuff and a lot of homesteads and even a little bit farther out into like Apache Junction area and out into the Superstition Mountains. People are are waking up to this fact that like, gee, maybe we should return to our roots as Americans. You know, the self, the, the ideal of self-reliance, Henry David Thoreau, which who was a little bit of a fraud because apparently he relied on Emerson. Like when he when Thoreau was writing Walden Pond, he was getting like deliveries from Emerson's wife and stuff like that. So while he's he's writing about like, I'm the ideal of self-reliance, he was getting like door dashes from Emerson's wife, but still, I can still resonate with what he's trying to say. And America was, I mean, really we're on occupied land. So really the, the true first peoples were definitely self-reliant. I mean, you know, yeah. the indigenous people made a, a very good living off of the land. And then even the initial, you know, wave of, of westward expansion and stuff like that, people were self-reliant. I mean, they didn't have smartphones, they didn't have GPSs. Google was just like a bad dream in some shaman's head at that point. Like some poor shaman in the 1600s had like this really fucked up dream once where he like saw like, who's that guy, the head of the, the ex-head of, of Google, Schmidt, is that Sergey his name? Brin. Oh, Eric Schmidt, yeah, yeah. Eric Schmidt, yeah. Some poor shaman had a vision of Eric Schmidt in the 1600s and he woke up in sweats and he like told his wife, he's like, the future's dark, future's dark. Anyways. <laughs> Let's get back on topic here real quick, but I, I do appreciate you saying that, Sean, and I agree with what you're saying. And I think it's very important to maintain optimism, maintain a light heart and not get sucked into black pillar doomer mentality. But with all that said, it would be fucking awesome if I had a, if I could somehow create a DIY electromagnetic pulse device. So I want to get back into that conversation. So you, you said that you're not exactly sure how it would happen, but you do think it's physically possible. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, yeah. I think the physics, it, it's, to me, it's mostly a size thing. So, you know, you actually, I just wanted to mention that you, you were alluding how fast, um, 
our, our society moves in terms of tech innovation, you know, faster computers, smaller cell phones, you know, they can with a lot more capability. And that is absolutely amazing, right? All that stuff. But there's there's one thing that move it, it there's developments that like we're working on one at work right now that I think is a pretty significant development in terms of power. But usually power related um, devices are heavy. They need space, you know? You you can't, it, I'll, I'll use the word you can't right now, is that you, you can't just take a, a transistor or some kind of a, a power um, device and just shrink it down by a hundred times or whatever. Like, you know, for, for microchips in your phone, those chips in the last hundred years or the last excuse me, the last 30 years they probably shrunk like by a factor of a million or something right that wow. individual transistors in them just had this amazing um uh density increase you know and and that's why they can do all these things but power isn't you're not gonna it's not gonna be like that you're not something that plays your car stereo really loud um uh 20 years ago maybe it's half the size now you know like yeah. it, it to make the same sound it it's you you don't get those big leaps so interesting when when i read you know so it is two different things it's kind of the logic and the the smarts quote unquote smarts of all the devices and things that we interact with every day but there's still the the um, the power side of it, and that with an EMP weapon, from what little I know of it, it is heavily dependent on enorm dissipating enormous amounts of energy. Hmm. And there's, it seems to me, there's no easy way of doing that. Um, hmm. So it, anyway, that's that's kind of uh, just something I wanted to put out there. To think about when you're thinking about this stuff it, mm -hmm. and and if you are able to shrink down a power device to the point that that you could do something like an emp then you start to get into something that looks like the movie star wars or something you know you start to have little guns and shoot lasers at slow speed somehow you know like you start <laughs> to be able to do weird things like that probably mm -hmm. when you can pack that much power at, um, an energy storage, like say from a battery or whatever, you know, you need all these things to work and they, they take weight. An adage that my boss always used to tell me was that, Sean, electrical engineering, at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of heavy lifting. Which <laughs> most people don't think about, but when you try to do anything electrical engineering, when you're trying to do, um, when you're trying to, to make a cell phone, it yeah, each little chip is really small, but all the machines that make that chip, I mean, they have to sit, a lot of that stuff has to sit on a lead line floor so that, you know, a semi truck driving three miles away doesn't shake the machine or whatever, you know, like oh, wow. all this crazy stuff that has to happen that, um, that it actually is really, heavy industrial equipment to get a lot of the things that we use every day in society going. You know?
That is so interesting. See, this is why I wanted to have you on for these types of insights, because it's it is stuff that you don't think about. And so many people approach this topic from the mentality of like, A, look how fast everything is going. Uh, there's certain types of people that are just kind of like enamored with the technology and just think that technology will will solve all our problems. And then there's another group of people that kind of blame technology for all of our problems. But I'm, I am really interested in the nuts and bolts of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that those machines had to sit on lead. Uh, well, what, you know, I don't totally know. But there are things like that where sensitive machines that, that are building, you can imagine little teensy, teensy transistors that, you know, a million of them fit in the human hair or whatever. Yeah, you got, there's a lot of kind of un, unbelievably huge efforts have to have to be made to get those things working you know so um we got six and a half minutes left of this segment <clears throat> do you have time after six and a half minutes to talk for like another 20 minutes yeah yeah all right cool so i'll just send you another link we're going to cut out in six and a half minutes and i'll just send you another link okay. but um so so there's that old 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 saying uh, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step and so i'm trying to think of the first step in terms of actually creating. And I'm not thinking of like an electromagnetic pulse device, like in the matrix that shoots like miles in all directions. I would be really happy with an electromagnetic pulse device that shot in one direction, like 10 feet. So just if there was a robot dog coming at me full speed ahead, I, I had something that I could shoot at that thing to at least mess it up. Like, I don't even need to completely disable it. I just need it to like, you know, like you spray a spider with bug spray and it kind of starts like tweaking out. Yeah, like yeah. anything to just get this thing to either, if it has a weapon, I want it to miss me. I want it to miss fire. Uh, I would love to just zap it. I mean, that would be great, but it sounds to me like this is going to be pretty tricky to pull off. So what kind of power are we talking about here, man? Like what? So, okay. So yeah, let's talk about that. So. The, the one other thing I didn't mention was that to make, you know, to make something, um, to make your Tesla go from zero to 200 miles per hour in, you know, 10 seconds or whatever, that takes a lot of power and it, it takes a pretty sizable amount of energy. So those are two different things, right? Like power is the instantaneous feeling that you'd feel energy is what lets you do that amount of power for 10 seconds. So with okay. the EMP weapon, you might be able to make something very, very powerful. And because of the battery that you have inside your suitcase or whatever, it, it might only last for one millisecond. Maybe that's good enough, right? If you yeah. want it to last for two seconds, no way. That's like 2000 times more energy dissipated you know than a millisecond right. so you know a lot of stuff when when you're talking about electronics that run at rates of of uh, a gigahertz a couple of gigahertz sometimes a millisecond is one heck of a long time like this is it's like a million cycles of that thing that's a whole bunch of processing power that just got screwed up so it might be even much less than a millisecond um other things inside the electronics could combat that like there's usually capacitance and stuff that you have to overcome and that would dissipate the effects maybe of, of this sort of weapon but the 
that is something just to keep in mind on is that you can still make really powerful stuff if you keep it really, really short. And it seems like you could keep it really, really short because it seems I like the kind so. of, yeah. Yeah. It, I, I think I don't, you know, the thing that I read a lot was, I just looked for an hour or so EMP stuff. The thing I read a lot is that they were like, this thing creates heat on electronics, you know? So it can, it can, it, the, the magnetic wave coming out, the electromagnetic wave coming out can put such high current on a wire or on just a printed circuit board that it heats it up. And that's where the time part comes in, right? Because you can do a lot of stuff to a circuit in one microsecond and it can survive it. You know, there's, ah, okay. you can have, there's like ESD protection. So, that, you know, when you zap, when you feel a static shock on your doorknob or whatever, that, that could be 10,000 volts, you know, that's easily enough to trash any electronics, let alone the super low voltage electronics that are very sensitive to that, but hmm. are probably in those Chinese dogs, you know, that kind of thing um, <laughs> will get really, that'll get nailed pretty quick, you know, by, by a zap, but you can protect against that for a short amount of time. You can protect against eight thousand. Now I really get the sense that an EMP can generate um, a, a million or 2 million volts or so. I mean, I haven't seen those numbers, but I, I just feel like it has, you know, if you're doing something from 800 miles away and you're screwing stuff up, you're yeah. talking about in incredibly high voltages, you know, all these things dissipate. So yeah. um, I think and that that's... Is a solar flare is the same idea behind a solar flare? Yeah, yeah. A solar flare would be the same thing. A lot of energy through probably ionized particles and kind of going in an unpredictable direction, usually, you know? Um, okay. And then um, I just want to take a quick little side tangent here. Oh, we only have one minute yeah. left. So let's go ahead and I'll close out this because it's going to cut out. I'll close this out and I'll send you another email. Okay. Welcome back to the BMP. Thanks, Zoom, for the awesome 40-minute time limit. You gotta love it. Um, so <clears throat> before we get into like pontificating about ways of generating this type of energy, I just want to ask a real quick question. I have a device that is called, uh, I believe it's called a positive ion generator. And the reason why I have this device is I was reading a book about creating sacred spaces in your home. And it was saying how waterfalls 
ocean beaches and lightning storms, they make you feel good. Like when you're in standing in front of a waterfall, you feel really good. And I've always just equated that to like, well, it's beautiful and there's a fresh breeze and you feel the water spritzing. But apparently also it's due to the positive ions that are generated. They have like an, uh, a positive impact on your mood and stuff like that. So I ordered this thing and it's just this little box and it's a positive ion generator. And they sent you a basic little testing thing to make sure it works. And when it's when you put it in a completely black room, it's the ions shoot out of this little needle. And you can huh. see when you put your hand close to the needle, the tip lights up a little bit. So that's how oh, you really? kind of, and you can actually feel a little bit too. Oh, so that's kind of cool. And, but it says, it's like, don't put this too close to your sensitive electronics because it will mess up the electronics. Is this kind of like a similar concept that we're talking about here? Yeah, I would say, Brandon. Yeah, it was, I, I, I'm positive that any like, you know, properly developed uh, EMP weapon would be vastly different than your little thing. But the, the basic <laughs> physics might be, it, it might be very similar. I, I don't know. I don't even know how to make an ion. Like, I, I, I yeah. think that electrocuting water can do it. <laughs> you know, right. but I, I'm not totally sure. Like, um, and I, yeah, I've actually always thought of ions as, yeah, I guess you can always strip off an electron or add an electron to the, to the molecular makeup of the medium that, that you're making ions out of. Uh, but I, I, I don't even know much about ions. <laughs> I, I know the thing works because in Phoenix, everything's really dusty. And what the positive ion generator thing will do is it will like attract all the dust in a space to itself. Oh. To the sure. point where it's actually like a problem, like because Phoenix is so dusty already. So I can only run this thing for like a few hours at a time because it will just with it. If I leave it on for a day, I will have so much dust collected in that corner of the room. It's like annoying. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of awesome. Um, and it still works, man. I've had this thing for four years. Uh, I've dropped it a couple of times. It still works. And it came in this unmarked box. It was $100. It's about like yay big. And uh, the thing still works. So whoever made that did a good job. <laughs> Pretty cool. Um, okay, so cool. So so now we're, we're, I'm sorry, I'm trying to paint a picture for listeners and people who are listening who are way smarter than I am who can make start to put these pieces together. So solar flares, positive ion generators, uh, electromagnetic pulse guns. So it seems to me that uh, we keep butting up against how to actually generate this type of voltage or power in the first place because you mentioned like a battery or something like that you would need like an insanely powerful battery yeah you would i mean again it's like you've got you've got uh power and and then power for an amount of time right so i i can only assume that if they're if someone makes one of these things as a weapon that they're trying to minimize that amount of time as much as possible. So they don't need to feed in as much energy into the system. And, right. you know, your car battery has half a kilowatt hour in it or something, right? It can start your car, you know, for maybe a minute or something of cranking before it dies. And, and so, you know, that's, that's a big heavy thing, right? And that's about what it can do. It can turn a freaking engine over a bunch, right? So, you know, with enough, you could take that same amount of 
car battery and probably get quite a bit of energy out of it for a very short time. Right. You could imagine. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I, so, I mean, I think that doing this thing for 20 or 30 pounds is possible, but I, I really, I, I can't say a lot about it because I just don't know. Um, I don't know how much voltage is actually required to do this. You know? Would you, could you wire together like 10 car batteries, 20 car batteries? Is that something? Yeah, probably. I don't know if that would even be necessary. I mean, the a car battery can feed out a lot of current, you know? So if you had 10 car batteries, I guess you get higher voltage, but usually you can like, like say, D depending on if you need a lot of current or a lot of voltage for this thing, I'm guessing one car battery, if, if it works with 10 car batteries, it would work a little bit with one car battery. It just okay. wouldn't go as far, you know? Do, so truck, it, do, do trucks have larger batteries than cars? Like a semi? Yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine it's probably twice as big or something. I, we can rely on truckers. Independent truckers will help us in this. I, I feel that because they're getting squeezed on like every level and they're pissed oh, yeah. off as, as we just saw in Canada. Uh, the truckers are pissed. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's good. So, you, you know, you're saying that it sounds like possibly feasible, feasible with like a big old truck battery might be able to generate that kind of, you said yeah. there's, there's voltage and then something else current. Is that what you said? Current, yeah. Yeah. Like those are your two basic electrical um, parameters that you have when you're trying to do something with power. Yeah. What's the biggest battery that you work with in your job? I don't know. I had a bank of like 16, they're called deep sea power and light batteries. So that that battery is like, it's like, it's kind of, it would be like a semi truck battery. It's really heavy. And they, um, the trick with that battery is they take all the, um, they take all the air pockets out of the battery hmm. and they backfill it with like a non-conductive mineral oil. Oh, wow. Thing. Interesting. And then you can drop the battery to the bottom, like you can drop it down to 4,000 meters. If you drop something to 4,000 meters of seawater and it has any air in it, I mean, if it has like an air smaller than a speck of a grain of rice, that thing is gonna collapse, you know, unless you have like six inch thick steel wall or whatever, right? Like you, you don't, any, the pressure difference between something that's like an atmosphere that we're breathing to being a few thousand years under the ocean is very high. So you need, you know, at least a, an inch of steel or something probably to prevent um, from collapsing. It's a bit of an exaggeration to say a grain of rice, but you really want to have all the air out. Yeah, I, had, totally. I think I had 16 of those batteries. And I remember my boss told me, he's like, if you touch that, that could be curtains, you know, like, <laughs> and, and he's like, you can, you know, I think I sparked it once and it's like, you can weld with that, you know, like it's a lot, wow. of, a lot of heat. You know? get created and it can dissipate the thing is with those batteries they can dissipate that power for quite a while um they have so much energy stored up in them but like if you if you just have like a little uh nine volt battery it if you just take a wire and short it out 
it is only, it's limited in how much current it can deliver. It, it'll get hot for sure, you know, but it it can't make a thousand amps or something, you know. That right. big bank of batteries I had probably could, you know. So, so then you could take that thousand amps and convert it into voltage if you wanted and, and step up the voltage a lot. And, and then maybe you can make something like this weapon. And how hard is it to, what you said, convert amps to voltage? Is that difficult? I, I mean, the very simplest way is just to uh, run it through a resistor. So if you have a bunch of current, that's a constant current, you put it through a resistor, the, it'll, um, the bigger the resistor, the, the higher the voltage will be on the other end. But making a large current is very hard across a high resistor. So it's, it's mostly on the generation side, like the battery, if you will, or the, the other, other devices, like say the, the, the uh, widget that's inside the CRT tube, that's what it did. It would take a lot of current and it would take a low voltage and relatively high current supply of some sort and then step it up into low current and high voltage. Okay. And then <clears throat> do you know anything about the, like, do they, is it possible to make like a, a battery with the power of a semi-truck battery rechargeable? Is that, does that technology exist right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, your battery in your car or semi-truck, they're all rechargeable batteries. Okay. They're already rechargeable. Okay. Yeah. They, yeah. Since, I don't know. I guess that makes 19, sense. 1920s or whatever. Yeah. No, now, <laughs> as soon as that left my mouth, I was like, wow, that was dumb. Because okay. it's no, obviously. It's a, great, it's a great question. To, to, yeah. Because <laughs> you so, just want to make, if you're going to go through the trouble of making this, you want to be able to, to recharge it pretty easily. Um, yeah. Could you would would you need to involve like a generator or anything like that to like i mean i guess you would need to be able to recharge it somehow so you would need some sort of power source if you couldn't just yeah. plug it into your wall yeah exactly i mean that that probably isn't the biggest thing that sometimes energy density will get you so like the best energy density is like say a lithium primary cell is called so that would be the lithium lithium battery the lithium ion battery that you have inside your cell phone, that's a rechargeable battery, right? But you can buy lithium primary cells, and that means that they're non-rechargeable lithiums. And once you use it, it's done. You throw it, you know, you recycle it. And okay. those guys are, um, they have like, I think at least double the energy density of like a cell phone battery. So for a given size, it would okay. have a lot more power. So, you know, usually when you do a non-rechargeable battery, you tend to get more energy, but you don't necessarily get to deliver that energy all at once. You know, some batteries are better able to deliver high currents than other ones. Some right. batteries are optimized to, to deliver a very small current, but for a really long time. Um, right. without discharging, uh, without a lot of loss of discharging. So anyway, that's kind of a the battery world. It, it, suffice to say with batteries, you for this thing, I would presume that you want a battery that can deliver a lot of current really fast, you know, like high, high currents and respond quickly with that. And like, ideally you would want it to be rechargeable but you said for the greatest density, it would be a non-rechargeable lithium one. 
Probably. I mean, there's other batteries out there too that might even be higher than lithium primary. I'm not totally up on that stuff, but yeah, I mean, I if I had to do, I'd probably start with lithium primary, um, like, and then or maybe <clears throat> just standard lead acid, like your truck battery. That might be okay too. I'm not sure, but it's okay. less energy density. That's for sure. It's heavy. And then, just so I understand, what is it that you're actually shooting out of this device that has the in, in, in desired effect? Okay, so it would be an electromagnetic wave. So it's just like it's just like the radio station um, that's in your town. It's just transmitting, you know, invisible waves that you can pick up with the antenna. Um, effectively, I, I believe, effectively with the EMP. You're just transmitting a super powerful radio wave, and it's so powerful that everything is an antenna to it. So okay. that's that's effectively what's happening. Anything, it the thing could be like a millimeter long. It's a millimeter long antenna, and it's just got so much power, it's going to resonate with it a little bit, and that's good enough to short it out. But that's that's I believe why with an EMP weapon when you have long power lines, you know, power lines run at what? Like a hundred thousand volts or something. I mean, enormous voltages. It freaking overcomes that, you know? Like maybe it doubles that voltage, but it does it over a hundred miles or however long the power line is, right? So yeah. a long, long line is gonna, it's going to, um, is basically just going to capture a lot more of that energy because there's just a longer area to capture it over than say a millimeter long little piece of copper inside your microchip. That right. long line gets all that energy and then all of a sudden it, it boosts it up from 100,000 volts to 200,000 volts or something or maybe it resonates with it. Yeah. And, and then it even, it, it might have a little spike that goes up to 500,000 volts or who knows what, right? I don't, yeah. I don't know those exact numbers. I'm just giving relative um, numbers, but that that's how an EMP can affect a little tiny microchip or it can kill your, your power grid. It could short out, a, it could blow up a transformer or something. You know, right. when lightning hits, what does lightning do? Lightning's like an EMP. So it comes down and then now and then you'll see like a giant flash during a lightning storm and that's a transform blowing up right yeah that's interesting um if you had to just sort of speculate on some other weaknesses that these robot dogs might have what would your speculations be it, okay so yeah we didn't even talk about the robot dog that much the robot dog <laughs> you could make it so that if you were aware <laughs> that someone had an emp weapon I would assume you could do quite a bit to protect it from that. Yeah. It, you know, you, with a powerful enough one, probably not, but like, it, that would be an arms race, right? Robot dog with, you know, wrapped with 10 layers of tinfoil or whatever would probably do some better defense against EMP than just a, a non tinfoil robot dog. Yeah. Um, but the, I don't know. I mean, like, usually everything these days is a multi-sensor system, you know? So you're going to have radar on the dumb thing, and visual, and uh, 
IR, thermal kind of cameras. You know, you it's a military thing, right? They're gonna have all these neat radar or whatever on the thing. So it's like, it, at the very least, as a frightening foe, if you're trying to fight the robot dog and it has all these different sensors, then just um, hitting it with heat, you know, it would still be able to see, you know, hitting it with uh, uh, just munitions would be fine, right? Like I was thinking like a shotgun. Throw, yeah, throw a grenade under it or whatever, like, okay, yeah. it'll get blown to smithereens, but that video you sent me, they had thousands of them, right? So yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, a, that's kind of zombie apocalypse, right? Like, yeah, you can take out one or two, I'm sure, but yeah, if there's a lot and that's, I don't, I, so I would think the, weak, the obvious weakness is just physical force on the thing, right? Right. It, I'm sure that you, if you turn on its back, it would have some magic way of getting up again, but it, if you like bend the metal, you know, yeah, maybe something as simple as hitting it with a baseball bat would do it, right? Right. But um, hit, it, hit his leg or something and can't move anymore. But right. Um, electronically, so I'd imagine they could harden the law that pretty well. That would be like the what when people think about defense, the electromagnetic pulse comes to mind because it could conceivably take out a large number. You know, if you could yeah, shoot it yeah. like a wave out. Um, but like you said, they would if 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 the robot dog manufacturers are aware that people have these devices, then they're going to be engineering it in such a way to resist it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that I think there'd be a reasonable chance that you can make a robot dog that would resist it. It's just a designer versus designer, right? It, mm -hmm. You know, when you're, I, I was dealing with some noise problems on a system a while ago, and you always have the thing that's making the noise, or the thing receiving the noise, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, <laughs> should I start with the thing making noise, or should I make defense against the maker? Because it's too hard to to stop it from making the noise. I'm going to cover it in tinfoil, or I'm going to put a resistor in there to lessen the amount of current that can flow to it, or whatever. Like it. It's one side or the other, but if my noisemaker got louder, then I'd have to do more noise shielding or find a way to turn off the noisemaker. Right, right. Same deal, right? This is just, it's the same thing. It, it'd be, it would be just your classic military industrial, you know, complex stuff. You know, yeah. So I guess to give yourself a fighting chance, it's just like Joe Schmo over here trying to slow down the robot dogs. You would just want to make the most powerful electromagnetic pulse you possibly could and then hope and pray that it's enough yeah. to bypass any of the defenses. It, I, I think that's totally reasonable, actually. If you had, a, yeah, I mean, if you launched the nuclear bomb above the robot dog, <laughs> I'm reasonably sure that those <laughs> those things would would get killed by the electromagnetic pulse you know if it was directed right above it you know like i yeah. think that, that seems really reasonable to me because they're not that stuff's expensive you know putting all these um you you when you're engineering this stuff you're usually in a freaking hurry i'm sure the robot dog guys were the same and <laughs> they're not gonna go and spend uh a year of development time doing experiments trying to figure out 
how well this is defended against an EMP pulse. They probably would do it against like radar jamming or something, right? Right, right. They, they might do that kind of thing. It, they've already done that before, but EMP pulse, you know, one guy in a mean says, what if they launch an EMP? And the guy's like, let's wrap it in two, two layers of tinfoil and that'll at least give it better than average chance. But it, it won't be enough if it's like, if you have a dedicated weapon, right? That, that already has knowledge of what his defenses are, you can overcome that. So I think this segment's probably going to be coming to a close pretty soon. And I know we both got stuff we need to do today. I could talk to you about this for another hour, but do you want to maybe uh, reschedule, have like a, 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 like a revisit this topic in like a few months? And sure. we could maybe both like, I know that you're incredibly busy, so I'm not trying to get you to do research, but just like, think about it. Maybe you'll have a dream or something. Maybe you'll have yeah. some sort of epiphany and maybe we could revisit in like, you know, four or five months. And Google's just sending me stuff about robot dogs and EMPs now. Right. I've already <laughs> looked it up, Brandon. So yeah, no problem. I'd be happy to, I'd be happy to uh, read all the articles that are going to get fired my way. Okay. Maybe that's... I'll read them too now because she's married to me and she gets awesome. We both get each other's <laughs> links, you know, out of nowhere it shows up <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right so i think this was a pretty good like primer in terms of setting the parameters for what we're discussing people like myself that don't know anything about anything maybe have a little bit of a better understanding of some of the physical mechanics involved with this and let's reconvene in a few months and part two will be more focused on uh again it, i understand it's going to be mostly speculation but let's speculate on engineering this thing yeah, how, how we would actually go about doing it. Um, we, you know, things to keep in mind here would be this would be a parallel system type thing. This would be like a locally homegrown device. So it would have to be like, you know, that's why I mentioned trucks. I think it's reasonable that you could find truckers that would help you with this. So anything in a truck you could use to make this, uh, you could work with that premise. You know what I mean? And so, you, but yeah, we, it does. It's no use talking about like mining uranium and, and that because that's not going to happen. It has to be something that Joe Schmoes or relative Joe Schmoes. I don't think trucks are schmo at all. I think trucks are incredible devices. So I think a tr if you've got a few truckers on your side, that's a lot of potential power um, and, and brain power and energy. So. So, yeah. So just throwing it out there, it'd have to be something that, that the people could make. Um, right. Right. I hear you. Yeah. Um, okay. Awesome. Well, this was a lot of fun, Sean. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was fun challenge. You too. Yeah, absolutely. Good to see you as well, brother. Okay. We'll talk soon. Okay. Enjoy. All right. Bye. Peace.
What's up, friends? You've made it through thick, through thin. We've cried, we've laughed, and we have arrived at the end of the show. So we're going to start things off right with this outro by listening to this white boy with a perm sing to us about poetry. Let's do it. used to be so like uh, wholesome and sweet he's like describing a woman as poetry in motion now it's like mumble rap about depression and and like fentanyl <laughs> one more time johnny tillotson folks outro time Right, there we go everybody. I'm not gonna say it necessarily got me fired up because I don't think this guy could could fire up a, uh, he couldn't fire me up if he was standing in the middle of a forest fire, you know what I'm saying? But hey, it was something. I thought it went with the theme because we're gonna be reading poetry today and not just any poetry. I decided I wanted to read contemporary Mexican poets. And so I found a few, I'm gonna read uh, three different poems by three different poets and I'm going to read a little bit about each poet before I begin. So the first poet uh, we're going to be reading from is Natalia Toledo and um, she, Oaxacan born Natalia Toledo, daughter of painter Francisco Toledo and sister to Dr. Lacra, is a prolific poet who writes about women and the natural world among other things in both Isthmus Zapotec and Spanish. She's been quoted as saying that poetry, quote, saves more lives than paracetamol and is the author of four poetry anthologies and two short story collections. So she does typically write in um, Isthmus, Zapotec, and Spanish, but luckily they have translated some of her poems into English as well. So my howly ass can read them too. Um, So this one is called, let's see, in Spanish it's called Huipil. And in English, it's also called Huipil, okay, by Natalia Toledo. Facing the sky like a lizard, I settle you in a trunk that smells of pine. My skin bursts with the flowers etched upon my dress. Men and hummingbirds can come and pinch me tonight. My happiness is nectar that flows. I am going to the fiestas to dance, and if it rains, the heart of day will hurl a rainbow upon my huipil and my eyes. When lightning falls, the sky burns. I open my lizard mouth to drink its fire. God damn! Thrown down right there. Um, I kind of want to read another one by Natalia Toledo, so let me see if we can find another one here. Do, 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 riveting radio, boomer raven, clicking around, looking for poems. I know this is what you all sign up for, a hundo percent. All right, I finally found another one by Natalia Toledo. This one's called To T.S. Eliot. From my hands grew red flowers, long and beautiful. How to forget the fear with which I was stripped of all certainty. I walked with my hands and sunk my body where there was mud. My eyes became full with fine sand. 
They called me the girl of the water lilies because my foot was the surface of the water. But also I was bitten by a snake that was mating in the estuary and I was blinded. I was a Tiresis who traveled his history without a staff. What are the roots that catch the branches that spring from this gravel? Maybe I am the last branch that will speak Zapotec. My children will have to hiss their language and the birds without a home in the jungle of oblivion. In all the seasons, I am in the south, rusted boat that my eyes of black paradise plums dream. I will go smell my land, dance with a tune under a jungle canopy without people. I will go to eat two things. I cross the plaza. The north will not stop me. I will arrive in time to embrace my grandmother before the last star falls. I will return to be the girl who bears on her right eyelid a yellow petal, the girl who weeps the milk of flowers to heal my eyes. I shall go. God damn, that is so beautiful. Holy shit, Natalia Toledo gave me some Kundalini ASMR action right there. All right, so that's the first poem, poet and poetry for today's outro. The next one comes from, um, I have the name of the, uh, by Coral Bracho. And let me read a little bit about Coral Bracho here. Coral Bracho was born in Mexico City and has been a published poet since 1977. She is understandably prolific in the world of Mexican poetry and her poems are richly descriptive, managing to encapsulate entire universes by way of exquisitely chosen or invented words. So by Coral Bracho, we're reading today, Water of Jellyfish. Water of jellyfish, milky, snaking water of ever-changing shapes, glossy water flesh melting into its lovely surroundings. Water, sumptuous waters receding, languid, and layered into calm. Water, water silken, dusky, dense as lead, mercurial, floating free, idling. The seaweed in there, sparkling in pleasure's very breast. The seaweed, crests a-bubbling, above the overarching silence, above the long spits of basalt rock, the waterweed, its familiar caresses, its gentle flux. Water of light, of fish, the breeze, the agate spilling its light. The shy elk flicker like flame through the cotton silk trees, through the shoals of little fish of flame is pulsing, water slinking, lynx light, lynx like, water of bream. And by the way, that wasn't the misspeak, she actually said little fish of flame. So that's what it says. Little fish aflame is pulsing, water slinking, lynx-like, water of bream, jasper's sudden reds and browns. Such glory here among the jellyfish medusas, parted lips of coastline. God damn, that's beautiful. The breezes gentle movements, lulling softly, settling into crystals, amphibious, lubricious, water, silken and magnetic, poised, water, coasting lascivious radiance i have to reread that little stanza because god damn that's so gorgeous parted lips of coastline the breezes gentle movements lulling softly settling into crystals amphibious lubricious water silken and magnetic poised water coasting lascivious radiance wading oily over crumbling basalt 
Light crawls, opal, through its own inner flames, water of jellyfish. Sweet freshwater shine, water leaving no traces, dense, mercurial, white as steel, parting round the granite stacks, its flashes of minnows, secretive, smooth, water alive and rolling, a bronze sun vaulting in close, liquid minerals spurting, water of jellyfish, a water to feel, to feel dissolving into itself, into a slick of indigo, quivering honeycombs, long strands of water, sea lettuce, the catfish nibbling in its rich, streaming bed, whose light nectars form a golden pond, liminal. One of my favorite words, liminal, by the way. Weightless water, air inside amber, a chrism of light, full of grace, the high tide a tiger, below a wash of shadow. Water at the edge, water eel, swallowing itself, its great journey by night along these matrices of silk, through the sea sage, water rich with cod, heavy water, that calm pleasure, warm, the way it shimmers, water's edge, its smooth changes, its delight in itself, its own seductive rise and fall. Water, silken, receding, layered into languid calm. Water, water, its gentle stroke, water of the otter, the fish, water of jellyfish, milky, snaking, water. Whew, good Lord. I think we even need to consult Johnny Tillotson about that one. That was redonkulously beautiful. That's right. That was such a good poem. What's your name again? Coral Bracho. All right, it almost feels inappropriate there to, to insert Johnny Tillotson. Let me get let me get something proper here. Selena, como la flor. appropriate than Johnny Tillotson to bring that poem to a close. But wait, we're not done. We're not done. There's one more. Um, this one is called Juarez Equipatec by Juana Adcock. And Juana Adcock is Monterey-born, Scotland-based poet and translator Juana Adcock often works bilingually, taking on subjects like geopolitics and the literal anatomy of violence in Mexico. She's the author of two party collections, or sorry, <laughs> she's the author of two poetry collections, Split, A Look at Love, Borders, and Late Capitalism, and Manca, or Manza, Manca or Manza. So I chose this one, Juarez Ecapatec by Juana Adcock. This is a little longer, so strap in, you can crack open a boot, you got time, because here we go. We were taken down to the river, all 11 girls, we had stopped being useful for one thing. A man took a poor view on what one of us had said, 
or on the fact that some of us had gone AWOL to eat gorditas when we'd promised to diet during the day. A man had the theory that we throated better when hungry, with that, kind, with that kind of hunger that pulls you down into yourself, your thoughts clinging to your ribs, vacuum packed, and words are emptied out of you, and you live second to second like an animal. In any case, the janitor led us here on foot, hands tied, tape on mouth, bound to each other by the waist, a necklace of girls. He was sent because the job was considered not worth the while of an expert executioner. We had to watch as one by one he hit us in the face with a stone until we stopped moving. Tied by the waist to the girl to our left, the rope pulling our middle, stomach tied tight, off jar, out teeth, nose, eyes, and between the eyes, we watched. Right into our eyeballs rolled back into our sockets, and we gazed into the night of ourselves. The last of us had already asphyxiated when it got to her turn, vomit behind duct tape, burned through the nose, swallowed back down. Then he left us to feed the wild boar and the coyotes. Two years later we were found, bones dispersed, sunned, all marked the same. How much machinery to make that dress, to raise and put down that stone. I was looking in vain for the newspaper article that told our story among the deluge of pages on the thousands of women of similar fates. At the graves we summon up our dead, ask them for strength, chant as we gather the remains, clink clank xylophoned in our zerone, each bone a different timbre for our song. We blow on their bones with our breath, we build an army. I go round calling for the bodies in the house of the dead. Wake up, grandmother. Wake up, grandfather. Wake up, 34. Wake up, 49. Wake up, 22. Wake up, 72. Wake up, 193. Wake up, 45. Wake up, 332. Wake up, 16. Wake up, 52. Wake up, 55. Wake up 400, wake up 300, wake up 300, wake up 18, wake up 17, wake up 68, wake up 70, wake up 23, wake up 20, wake up 120, wake up. Landless workers burned alive, gamblers burned in the casino, children burned in the day center, the witches burned. Wake up, men hacked to pieces, women tortured, migrants suffocated in lorries, lying on the bed of the sea between north, east, and south. Wake up, extinct beasts, forgotten birdsong, torn mountains, quarried stones, corals lost. Stand before us now, lend us your voice. Too long we have walked on our knees, our blood a path of chem Kempazuchitil pedals. Let us be a bridge. A bridge. Holy fuck, dude. Good lord. That's uh that was pretty intense. <clears throat> I feel like we should read one more so as not to end quite on such a such an insane, <laughs> intensely heavy note. So here we go. I'm gonna be Rocio Cero. Oh, it's not letting me. 
Alright, so we're gonna read one more here to bring it to an end. So this one is by Teddy Lopez Mills of Mexico City. And the poem is called Untitled. In memoriam, Joan Audrey Mills, December 13, 1925 to August 3, 2000. Stately, tall, and lovely tender, Ezra Pound. About your life, the simplest years, your small gold-rimmed silhouette beneath the limited refuge of two or three orange trees. At the edge of a pen and ink Anaheim, I glimpsed in your script before ever setting foot there. Or later on, your lean profile against the low wall in the red dirt yard, dry pebbles, powdered brick, approaching the exit through the creaking door. I pushed open long afterward with the slightest touch of my palm. Or about the permissible garden of Narcissus, pansy, honeysuckle, beyond the white fence, branches of a bent tree, before my eyes, lawn to one side, and air above balanced like a voice in the glinting sun, I think now. And sometimes, in the mixed gleam of the day and its objects, when I reenact the bilingual colloquy that your hand held with its shadow, always in another language, two turns for every word, and I hear orange, let's say, slow on your tongue, in the next instant, like life's mere image, the three syllables of naranja appear, and behind, like a snake, the native and sometimes almost implausible trace of a huacal less heaped with fruit in my memory than its counterpart, the trusty crate that I saw at your feet, or maybe crate, the trusty crate that I saw at your feet as a plain fact, wooden nails. But what does it matter? I'm talking about myself again, and that's not what I want. So I come back to your life and ask, knowing myself, do I know you? It would seem not, although I can enumerate certain places, certain objects, or sometimes visions, a farm that unfolds with the sound of barking dogs, natural noises of tractor and neighbor, horses in the field, geometry of straw, leaves whipping the window pane, earthquake stamping like a hare, and a wildfire dragged toward the mountain by the relentless wind that summer. What am I saying? The list grows more tenuous or more abstract as the hours progress. The violated silk, for example, is an act of time or secret of the locked coffer. The weakened, fleshless vein is a reaction of space, <clears throat> diminished by that dockyard so close to the window where I lean out and rain falls. As if erasing the trail of another retreating season from the asphalt. Now I hear what I see. Approaching your image, I make my own. Someone is still there. How many words more? If we dissolve the double knot of your laughter and your silence, what remains? Black water, impact, muscular percussion, curtailed peace, the rest of the afternoon without you. Although your name, your age, your origins were repeated so many times that in the end, among the posts on the road to the mortuary, the cold wire that pinched my fingers by exhaustion or accident sounded like the Baroque strings in your room when you were still there. God damn. Man, I'm speechless. These poems have been so gorgeous and powerful. Okay, well, everyone. <laughs>
<laughs> you're still hanging on still hanging on out there listen i appreciate everyone thank you so much for tuning in y'all are the best um please support the podcast i can really use your help to stay on the air so hop over to patreon.com noetic sign up at any tier get a dream interpretation when you do patreon.com noetics you can make a one-time donation buymeacoffee.com noetics tell two friends this week about the bmp there's something there for everyone um don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And I need reviews on Apple Podcasts and CastBox. So with all that said, everyone, I wish you guys a fantastic week. I hope that you know you, your week is full and real and authentic and textured and complex and beautiful and all of the things in between. So take good care of yourselves, everybody. And I will talk to you next week. I love you so much. All right. I just woke up, thank God it's Friday Fire up the lack and hit the highway Pulled in the car wash so we can hit them white wall tires Sedan to build, sitting on LA wires And it's gotta be 80 degrees I gotta check in my pocket for 15 G's Hit the first interstate, now I'm straight Stop at the record store to pick me up a no school tape in my ride, see the spin of the tires. Kid Frost rolling, bumping earth, wind and fire. It feels good holding 15 grand. So I parked the sedan and I strolled into Greenspan's. Give me a pair with your 50 30. Cascades, Cortez, and a jet black. Hoodie headed back home and got G'd up for It's an east side rendezvous. Come on. It's me, that Eastside G y'all never heard of With AFG and that boss getting much love Through the neighborhoods, through the city Woofers in they back bumping Duke, why did it? Yeah, drop a line to the muckers for they info Pack them smokes, LA capping with them cacks low Cause we some true player Bandits got them miners at they hotel And they can't stand it I got that sexual healing on them 36 double deuce, 36 and I'm feeling on them